Sports. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. What's up? It's the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590 Fan. Justin and Ailish. Good morning. Welcome to a day after Blue Jays baseball win and FIBA action at 9.30 a.m. Oh, yeah. Latvia. That's sneaking up on us, isn't it? Oh, yes. We're right around the corner. we got the TV already ready. I hope nobody's here in the studio yet, but I bet Dan Shillman's probably here working away. Probably came right from the Rogers Center to the Rogers building. Coming and they set in. up a little cot for him? I hope so. It might be a little early. might be a little early for Dan still. be getting some sleep. Within the next hour, though, I expect he'll be coming in. We will have in-studio guest Sherman Hamilton at 8.30 to help us tee up Canada's third game of the FIBA World Cup. Uh, a big one with big implications. Canada wins this one. They're top seed. They're playing Latvia, who is in the same boat. Got to think of that these wins against France. Helped a little bit of momentum for both these teams, and they're going to be looking forward to getting this seeding figured out. So Canada, big game, 9.30 a.m. We'll be helping tee that one up uh, while we go throughout our show. Obviously, the Blue Jays won last night, so we're all good. Everything's rosy here. Is it rosy? <laughs> one win over the Nats, rosy? I mean... Rosier. Yeah, rosier. It's I mean, everybody rosier. else won, right? That's, that's Like, that's the thing that sucks. Blue Jays lose a bunch of games in the last little while, and those are the days where the other teams decide to also lose. And then last night, oh, well, we'll all win, and this will mean really nothing for the wild card race, but a win is a nice thing to yeah. enjoy. Yeah, somewhat like, uh, not like, I don't know, if they were dramatic, maybe a little punctuation on the wins from all those AL West contenders. Mm-hmm. I mean, Seattle just rolled because that's what Seattle's doing right now. But, like, I don't know how many the runs Rangers was it? Rangers come back win. Astros comeback, comeback, the Red comeback Sox. win for the for the Rangers. Looked like they were going to lose to the Mets. Mets doing some favors. Mets blow it. Red Sox were competitive for a while, and the Astros just scored a million runs. And like my Jose plus money bet on the Astros money line was like, what are you guys doing? I don't know. Maybe we have to re- th- rethink the wake and rank because we're hitting like nice, like we're just at a half run off of hitting that big parlay. We're on with all the lines. analysis. Yeah, anytime, anyway. anytime you're seeing plus money on Houston or Seattle or Texas, maybe yeah. not Texas. Maybe not Texas. Well, they won Jury's the first one for a long Texas. time. They got to win. They did. Uh, but Houston plus money, yeah, it's, that's we, we got to play those right now. Also, John Herdman hired by TFC officially. We talked about this last week on Fan Drive Time when rumors came out. We had Joshua Cloak on, and uh, it is confirmed. John Herdman leaving the Canadian men's national team to coach the unfortunate lowly TFC team. Nowhere but up. Nowhere but up. Yeah, that's the John Herbin. <laughs> that could be the title of his memoir, Nowhere But Up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. I don't know if it's exciting. It's exciting to talk about, and we will talk about it. I think it's exciting it. for this market. People will be really excited to see John Herbin coach TFC. Will they? Yes. Really? People love John Herdman. People do love John Herdman, but are they falling out of love with John Herdman? Because of the World Cup? I just think this is uh, this has been somewhat telling. This has been somewhat needlessly dramatic. This has been maybe, you know, manager over team and manager over mm-hmm. country and a lot of like this is there's some definite layers to this. And there's a lot of unknown and there's a lot of things that have gone behind the scenes that have got to this point. 
And it feels like it, they arrived at this point because a re- relationship has deteriorated. I wonder. That's though, not John Herdman's fault. It's not. He's a part of the. He's in the relationship. Oh, I thought you meant TFC's relationship. Oh no. Like I mean, TFC is separate. TFC is separate. I'm talking about everything that's oh, gone on with it, Herdman has been it. very. I mean, it's been dramatic for TFC yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. But this, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's showing up at the World Cup and he's, you know, talking that noise and he's flirting with New Zealand and he wants to. Uh, I, uh, this is my theory. I was out on John Herbman the moment I saw that haircut at the World Cup. <laughs> Okay. A man's haircut will tell you a lot about his intentions. Look at mine. Look at my haircut right now. It's pretty It's simple. a fresh haircut. No, it's a fresh haircut. A haircut happened yeah, yesterday. It's not crazy. You know why a haircut happened yesterday? Why? Going on vacation today. Um, it, it will tell you a lot about what's going on in their life. And to me, John Herman showed up in Qatar with that hair, a different what hairstyle. What was wrong with his hair? You remember the hair. Like, it was very... Like, it was... It was... A little Gen Z? It was, it was a little bit more... You know, exaggerated. Real tight on the sides, a little extra on top. John Herman brought his, the style or wanted to bring the style to Qatar. He went the extra mile. He's going to be on the it world was, was stage. A, yeah, I would get very, my hair no, done, too. It was a very look at me, everything about John Herman's World I Cup was look at me. I don't buy this. No, I'm joking about the hair a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. But everything about his World Cup was kind of look at me. And it was a showcase for John Herman. John Herdman wanted to use that platform to leave. In my, mm. We saw it right away. New Zealand, he wants to go back home to England and coach mm. in the championship. He wanted to use that platform to leave. And then what happened at the World Cup? He fell flat on his face and he got embarrassed. He embarrassed himself tactically in a mm. lot of ways. People were like, this guy's not what we thought he was. And maybe he's better suited for a job like TFC because my uh, my take on him leaving because I care so much more about the Canadian soccer than I do TFC, that's just the reality of the situation, is that he took Canada soccer as far as he was going to take them. And that, for that reason, it is good for Canada soccer that John Herdman is leaving, because on the world stage, it wasn't just the players that got embarrassed by Croatia, outclassed mm-hmm. by Croatia. The manager, Canada's manager, John Herdman, got outclassed by Croatia at the World Cup, and that was telling to me that they needed someone Different because Herdman took them as far as he could. He got them off the ground, mm. but in order to get into the next level, the next stratosphere, I think they need someone else. And maybe that's what a TFC needs, just to get off the ground. And maybe it's enough at the club level, at MLS level, for him to be that sort of tactician. But I think this is a really, really good thing for Canada soccer, first and foremost, and that is what's most important to me. I feel like two things could be true. I did get... I think humbled a bit. I think everybody got humbled a bit. You make it to the World Cup, and that's so exciting. You're going to host it in four years, but you're outclassed on basically every level, and that starts from the organization downwards. And I don't think that either the women's team or the men's team were set up for success at either FIFA World Cup. That's partially, mostly on the organization. But, yeah, the the coach didn't really inspire the most confidence. But you got to think that either that – place is such a disaster that he wants out because you have the opportunity to coach a world-class talent like there are some really young world-class talent on this mm-hmm. Canadian team which will be mm-hmm. even better in two three years I would assume if they get a chance to play maybe, and yeah. you get an opportunity to, to be the home team at a FIFA World Cup like that never happens that happens to one team or two every year and you're walking away from that and I'm sure there's a big bucket of money, but that is the world stage. If you think like Herdman was, you know, maybe 
flirting with this team and flirting with that fame. Think about it in two, three years at the next World Cup when you are the host nation. There's a lot more eyes on you there. But if Canada soccer's in that bad of a spot and there's that much money on the line to leave to go to TFC, like I think it says a lot more about maybe the state of Canada soccer than we thought because you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the floor, but maybe a harder path. Like maybe that was a harder path forward for him. Not liking the the situation he's in, not liking maybe the the way he's not being set up for success. Maybe that's how he's viewing it. And you look at TFC and you're going to get a lot of money and you're going to start with a team that's basically not going to go any lower than this. And you're going to be beloved in this country and this city, right? Like people are going to love John Herdman. And it's uh, kind of you're, a nice... You're, you're, you're more convinced of that than... Like I understand, he's the guy to hire. We talked about this. It might Why, not be, though? but it might not be the right decision because he's the he's the biggest yeah. name in Canada people, soccer. But people that don't know so much about John Herman that know, oh wow, TFC got that guy that coached the World Cup team. That's awesome. Like I'm talking like less diehard fans. People okay. that know the name value of John Herman are going to see that they're bringing a big gun to help this TFC team. I think the market will like that a lot. I'm I'm not talking about like maybe the X's and O's and the analytics of it. But you're hiring, it's like when Mike Babcock got hired by the Maple Leafs. It was like the big name. Yeah, and maybe we're trending towards the exact same and result I, I'm, I'm totally leaving the door open for that. But I mean, right now, when he gets named as the head coach of the team that sucks, I think people are going to say, hey, at least we're going in a better direction. And we have a coach. And it isn't someone's dad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's uh, fair. But someone's dad has way more of a decorated MLS resume than yeah, John he has, Herman he has never played. He doesn't have. This he level, doesn't have a, a, an MLS resume. You're right. I, I, I mean, I, I think my my criticism with TFC is pretty. It, it's unchanged. Uh, they are big game hunting. They are not building what it, you would call from the ground up. You're, they're mm-hmm. not building something that's sustainable. They are going and looking at Italy or Spain or Brazil or whatever might have a disgruntled star or someone mm-hmm. who could be labeled a star in MLS and bringing them over. And I don't know if that's going to change under John Herbin. I mean, John Herbin does really well raising the floor, so maybe he will be able to take some young talent that is not you know, high-priced or going to cost you this or whatever, not designated, not even close. Maybe he's able to, you know, build from the ground up a little bit, and I'm sure he will take his time because he has time mm-hmm. and he's going to make a lot of money while he uses that time, and it's all great for him. I do not think, though, that John Herdman got the result he wanted out of all this. Like, you mm-hmm. mentioned leaving a team that's going to the World Cup, and you mentioned, you know, coaching guys like Alfonso Davies, so on and so forth. It just felt like it was over before we even got through the world, the first World Cup. Like, he was already foot out the door. And why he was foot out the door, I'm not really sure. But I think once you start flirting, it it kind of it, it got them to the point where it was never going to work anymore. Like, he was openly looking for other jobs. Like, the New Zealand reports were really, really strong, at least out of New Zealand, that they were in deep talks or they were really, really trying to make it work there. And if you're Canada soccer and you're paying him a pretty decent amount of money in your own relative context, mm. and he's one foot out the door, why would you want to play his game? Like, I really do think this is good for Canada soccer because they can reset at okay, this position and get someone role? who's more bought in. Who? Like, I, I agree with you where it's like, hey, this guy, why would he not want to do this? Why would he not want to do this? But he showed that there was an inkling that he didn't. And mm. for that reason, it's better that it happened now with three years left for the World Cup. They can get the, whatever coach that is in place, and they can go from there. I don't think this is – there's going to be a lot of people interested in this job. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of, like, quality Canadian coaches that can go up against the Didier Deschamps of the world and out 
you know, strategize them. Like, I don't know if that's possible here in Canada, but I guarantee there are people who are going to be interested in coaching one of the best left backs in the world in Alfonso Davies, mm-hmm. Jonathan David, who's going to be playing for a top 20 club in Europe, a bunch of guys who are elite level players all across the world. There's going to be coaches that want to get involved and good coaches. It's just about picking the right one and finding one that's probably going to fit into a, you know, a, a pretty modest salary structure. We'll put it that way. We're going to chat with Oliver Platt, who's a one soccer analyst at 730, uh, because a name would be nice, right? Like we're, there's a big hole. There's a big opportunity, as you mentioned, but there's still a little bit of a, like a black eye a bit on what's going on with Canada soccer. So I understand like the talent is great. You're going to be the head coach of a team that's going to host the FIFA World Cup. But I don't think people will be blind to the fact that it's not the most uh, fluid of situations or most transparent of organizations right now. You're in the fight of with your federation feels like every day, both the men's and women's side, like those things you think about. Like you want to go take this team to a World Cup, but you want to be set up for success. The last thing you want to do is get hired for this Canadian team. All this excitement, like it could not be more exciting for 2026. Because yeah, you got you got out of the you got that first step where you played at the World Cup for the first time in what was it? it felt like 30 years or something. And now everything is tenfold. The expectations are way higher. You can't just show up. You can't just score one goal. You want to make an impact. So you have all this expectation and it'd be great to coach that team. But the last thing you want to do is also fall flat on your face. So I think that whoever's going to be considered for this role has to also think, well, am I going to be put in the best position to have success? And I don't think Canada soccer is currently at that spot. So it'll be interesting to see like what names are being floated around. I mean, it just happened, but there was rumors about this for a little while. When we talked to Joshua Cloak, he had other thoughts at least about who might take on a TFC head coaching role. Well, now that's solidified. Who's going to take Canada soccer? It's a big, big spot. Oliver Platt will help us sort that out at 7.30. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is way more convoluted than TFC being like, oh, people know John Herdman, right? Let's get Mm -hmm. him. Let's throw a lot of money at John Herdman. It is a lot more complex than that. You have to appease a global superstar Mm -hmm. in Alfonso Davies, and that might be the most important thing. It didn't seem like Davies and Herdman jived. It really, really didn't. I don't know what went wrong there. I I mean, you could point your finger at either one of them. The fact that Alfonso Davies plays out of position, the fact that Alfonso Davies put his arm up and took the penalty that he shouldn't have taken in that Belgian game. Mm. Like, there's a lot of things that were going on there, and it felt like it never really worked. And if you bring in a guy that Alfonso Davies doesn't trust, and I'm not just trying to suggest that he's like prima donna mm. or he's he he calls all the shots or whatever, but there was a bit of that with Herdman. Is it Herdman-specific or is this the way it's always going to go? And if you bring in a guy who is co- coaching at levels, what, 25 rungs below where Alfonso Davies' reality is in his in his world, like, will he have a lot of respect for mm-hmm. that guy? Did he have respect for John Herbin? Did he lose respect for John Herbin? Like, there are a lot of questions. And I feel like appeasing Alfonso Davies while on the surface, that's not the way you want to go. Like, it is really, really important that Alfonso Davies likes the next manager of Canada. So I wonder how involved the players will be in the hiring process, right? Is there a leadership core? That's Should gonna... they be? Should they not be? I don't know. I see the argument for both sides. Like Alfonso Davies is 22 years old, and he is certainly the current and future of this team. But, I mean, when I was 22 years old, and 
if I was a superstar, maybe I would have a little bit of a, I don't know, an edge about me. You're the best player. You're one of the, like, you're a top global talent. You're being put in this echelon. I, I think it'd be. You chose to play for this country. Yeah. There's, and there's probably a lot of pride in that, but it's probably a lot of like, I am the star. Like, I know you didn't want to put words in, like, he's not a prima donna, but there's a lot that Alfonso Davies carries for this team in this country. I do wonder if that's a, a thought moving forward about making one person happy, but maybe Canada Soccer needs to just focus on getting the best coach and, and maybe not the most loved coach. And maybe the best talent evaluator is the player who plays at the highest level, mm-hmm. are the players who play at the highest level. Because we are, we are obviously speaking with a tinge of ignorance to the actual details of the soccer world. Like, again, when I'm talking about tacticians, and when I'm talking about tactics, I can just see it. Like, I understand Croatia was better. Mm-hmm. Croatia be- has better players. They are a better team. They have a far better history. But if you do the sum of all parts thing, the margin between them was far greater than it needed to be, mm. than it should have been. Like, that, we can just make some assumptions. However, Alfonso Davies knows who works, who has good ideas, who has bad ideas, who's inferior, who's superior. He knows and understands what it all would look like. And if he believed that John Herman wasn't good enough at the job, if that is true, and I don't think we're going to get that, although we know there was some, some degree of friction there, we'll mm. just say that. If he believes that he wasn't good enough, then that is all the justification needed for allowing him to leave, for allowing him to look for other opportunities. Maybe John Herman himself realized that. I don't really know, but I do think this is an opportunity for Canada to be better. And again... If I'm doing my priorities, I want Canada soccer to succeed far more Mm -hmm. than I do with TFC. Have fun, make the money, do the vaping things on the planes, whatever you guys want to do. Maybe you'll win some games, but Canada soccer has to nail this, has to nail their next move, Mm -hmm. and they've got to get it going in the right direction because three years is going to go by very quickly. So maybe there is a, maybe it's a win-win scenario. Maybe Canada soccer gets a new face and it's not John Herman. John Herman gets money and an opportunity to take a team floor much higher and I mean, it's not hard right now they haven't won since like may <laughs> you know so i it's think perfect. it's a perfect spot for him it's perfect for him just landing spot alone yeah. i understand we're gonna have to figure out how he's gonna change his team on the, on the pitch but nonetheless it gives an opportunity for canada soccer to do the right thing <clears throat> sorry and find the right coach so we could be looking at this in a month saying might be best for everybody. I think it's win-win. October 1st will be when Herbin takes over at uh, TSE head. <clears throat> Jeez Louise. I'm emotional. <laughs> as TFC head coach. Um, so a little bit of time there. But he's, you know, he was with Canada Soccer for a long time. Obviously had success with the women's team. Moved on to the men's team. And now the door is open. So, uh, so put your I'm, resumes in. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I'm pretty negative on Herbin. So I, I think we should be slightly positive. I mean, the legacy is uh, one of real, real... Um, improve. Now I would say improvement. Improvement sounds, but like his, it's ironclad. Mm-hmm. John Herdman's legacy in, in Canada soccer will live forever. He took uh, teams that weren't as good and made them relevant. He took a Canada team in the on the women's side on amazing Olympic runs, put yeah. them in a position where they were one step away from winning an Olympic gold medal. That's what happened. And then he goes to the Canadian men. And maybe it's like, uh, does that make a lot of sense? I mean, it is a different game, whatever. He raised the floor enough, 
and had players buy in enough to believe that they could support the guy like mm-hmm. Alfonso Davies and not only qualify for a World Cup, but have Alfonso Davies not available on many of those match days and still win and not even blank. I mean, he did a lot for Canada soccer. He did more than most people can say they have done for Canada mm-hmm. soccer in its history. So his his resume, his uh, the, uh, his legacy, all that stuff, I mean, it is safe. John Herbin did a tremendous do- job, but it's probably time for someone else to take over, at least in my opinion. And for that reason, his resume stands. He did an incredible job, and he deserves to be celebrated for it, but it's probably just time for everyone to go their separate ways. I think that's a great way to wrap that one up. Uh, we'll talk with Oliver Platt at 7.30. Um, okay, so Blue Jays last night... <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, they did get a win and didn't help them in the wild-card race, uh, but nonetheless, start strong in a series against the Nationals. Uh, Kevin Gosman on the mound, I guess the big... It wasn't a, like a game full of incredible storylines. It was just a baseball game that they won, and that's what we're going to have to... They need a lot of those. They a need a lot game of them. They, they need yeah. a lot of them. I think 30 games left in the season. Uh, if you look at 90, 91 wins, is a, a number that you probably want to get to. 18, 19, 20 is probably the minimum. Yeah, so there's one down. It's like when you see in the Stanley Cup playoffs when they zoom into the locker room and they've got... They put a puck... In each win, yeah, it's like yeah, the Blue Jays yeah. should be doing that. It There's a win. That easy, we got where 19 we knew, left. Where we knew, just it's got to be 20. Yeah, it's got to be 20 wins, wins <laughs> and they're in. Uh, we're, it's not going to be that clear. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and this is, I mean, it doesn't work in the Stanley Cup playoffs like that, where it's like, hey, uh, the first round, first game was really easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was for teams that are considered elite, there'd be a lot less consternation in this city uh, for sure. Uh, but that was layup territory, was it not? I mean, a reminder at least that there are levels to this. Like, I, I understand we preface this series with Washington Nationals playing really good baseball they since were. the All-Star They break. were winning series. But boy, is that a pretty barren team. And that Jay Gray, Josiah Gray fella, he didn't really have anything. Jay Gray Parlay go? Because uh, I did one the for two. one. One for two. Oh. Uh, I don't think Josiah Gray... Enough he didn't get many he couldn't find the strike zone last night, so uh, that would have been tough. Uh, not even the Blue Jays could help him in that regard. But it, it felt like, for me, we'll do the offense first. Mm-hmm. The bare, It's bare minimum stuff. When a guy is on the mound and is completely wild, cannot hit the strike zone, uh, can't throw strikes, can't even challenge you, the bare minimum is just taking pitches and waiting on your pitch. And the Blue Jays did punish Josiah Gray yesterday. Mm-hmm in the limited innings that he was out there, uh, which, again, is, okay, great, that that happened. Uh, eventually, this Blue Jays team has to find a way to get at or to get to great pitching. But if you're doing the bare minimum, which is getting to bad pitching or allowing bad pitchers to hurt themselves, I mean, that's at least a step in the right direction. That's exactly what happened yesterday. Their offense was good because they had a decent approach against someone who did not have his stuff mm-hmm. or doesn't have stuff, uh, and they got... The victory. It's not going to be as easy in this series. It's not going to be as easy as that as this road, uh, not road trip, as this, uh, you know, the stretch against inferior teams rolls on. Uh, but they did the bare minimum uh, offensively last night, and that got, that was enough for the victory. And they helped Kevin Gosman, who we'll get to with a little bit of run support. And that's something we've been clamoring for. And even Kevin Gosman was kind of mentioning last week when I think they had, we're over. Um, and another Kevin Gosman start. And we talked about how he had the 
lowest at that point or the second lowest run support in all of Major League Baseball. And last night they helped him out. And it wasn't Kevin Gosman's best stuff. And I think we're seeing a little bit of fatigue maybe with Kevin Gosman. He's that was his 200th K last night, which is a really great accomplishment. First one, the AL. So that, before he gets to September, that was great. Um, of course he's our ace, but I, it, there is not a concern, but, um, I would say you can have the dialogue. Uh, that might be a concern. Okay. You can have the dialogue that maybe Kevin Gosman isn't having his best stuff approaching the time where you need your best stuff, but you can say that the guardians are sorry, the nationals, those two teams are kind of like one thing. Um, are the team with the second lowest K rate in the league. So Kevin Gosman's like strikeout guy, right? Like, you know, he's hitting eight, 10, whatever. Last night, he didn't have his strongest stuff. He wasn't able to strike out this team. Second lowest K rate in the league. Guardians were first. That's why I said that name too. <laughs> They're in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't his, his sharpest of game, but that's when the offense needs to be able to help a starting pitcher. And they did that for the first time in a long time for Kevin Gosman. So, I mean, if you're able to pick up your starting pitcher when they're not at their elite, elite stuff, that's how you're going to win baseball games down the stretch. But I I think it is fair to start to wonder when was the last time we saw the dominant, dominant, dominant Kevin Gosman. It's been a little bit uh, underwhelming over the last couple starts. Yeah, it is a bit ironic that he reaches a longevity milestone while actively fading on the season uh you know the era in june is up above four uh, 4.2 mm-hmm. um for kevin gosman and yeah he gives up seven hits two walks in five innings does strike out at least eight i, I think there might have been i think it was eight that he finished at um he wasn't sharp and he hasn't been sharp and you can survive uh, a lack of sharpness for kevin gosman uh when you're playing mm-hmm. the nationals and when you're out there against head-to-head uh, Josiah Gray, who didn't have it last night. Uh, I am concerned about Kevin Gosman. I don't think you. It's it's hard not to be. I mean, if you look at some of his previous months, June he's striking out a million batters, and the ERA is under three, and everything looks great, and it's not the case right now. And again, two hundred strikeouts is very impressive, but that just tells you how many pitches he's thrown over the course of the season. I wonder. Like, it's too early to talk about next year, obviously. But they've got so many guys already locked up, like Bassett, Barrios, Kikuchi, Gosman, all going to be here. Maybe the opportunity to bring Hunjin Ryu. Maybe Alec Manoa bounces back. Maybe there's someone internally. Like, this team, they might have to, for the sake of Kevin Gosman, and the sake for older arms, frankly. Mm -hmm. They have an older pitching staff. It might have to be a six-man, like planned, charted out for. Because of Kevin Gosman? I, I I think, again, I don't know if we're there yet, but no, if, Kevin Go- if Kevin Gosman has a worse September than he did August and for the second year in a row does not look good in the playoffs or does not get it done mm-hmm. in the playoffs, well, how are we not looking at fatigue? Because if you look at the start of his seasons and the trajectory of his seasons, it's like, okay, well, you know, good start. Then he's awesome for a little while and then it starts to diminish. And again, I'll have to look at, at, at you know, historically and where this leaves off. But just looking at this year alone and knowing and understanding that six days rest or five days rest and pitching every six days has been so good to him just when it happens naturally. I mean, I think in the in the terms of protecting assets and being progressive and looking forward and seeing how you can best serve your your athletes and your players, the people, the pitchers in your rotation. It just feels like maybe that's going to have to be the case because you don't have young hurlers 
on this staff. You got older veterans who are doing a great job this season, but are getting older. And you don't want the same story every year where September doesn't look like June for Kevin Gosman and your ace doesn't look like an ace when it actually matters. I feel like this year I can give a little bit of grace um, at this point. I'm, I'm not fully there. I'm needing to think about next year as a six-man rotation because there was a stretch here where there was four starters. And Alec Manoa was on Robidaw's Island. And, and, and maybe, and Kevin and maybe the repercussions to, of that is what's yes, happening now. I, I certainly think so. Like, I can, I will believe that But again, it's not narrative. like, hey, we need you every third day, Kevin. No, like of that, course. But they like were that. getting stretched longer. And they talked about it. The starting pitchers made public pleas that they were getting a lot of innings pitch. He's top 16 in the MLB in innings pitch. And yeah, I know he's a starter and he's their number one. He's their ace. So he started a lot of games, but he's also went long in games and he's had to shoulder a lot of games where they were high leverage. It felt like every start was high leverage because this team needs to win every game and they're not getting any run support. So he's really needing to grind out games where they have zero runs to help him win games. So I think there are certainly some reasons and I'm giving a little bit of grace because they had a tougher stretch as starting pitchers and they're still one of the best rotations in baseball. And if this month is a little bit of a blip, I'll believe it now and I'll give my confidence blip a hundred percent. If we're blipping, it's ill time, but I will say still my starting pitcher game one of any series. So, of course. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm... But if he pitches like that against... I don't know, maybe the Twins, he gets it done. But if it's like against a team like the Houston <laughs> Astros or Seattle Mariners, like, you're going to be... You're going to be holding your butt. Like, it yeah. is going to be dicey. Like, Kevin Gosman needs to find a way to get back to the pitcher that is absolutely devastating with his splitter in particular, mm-hmm. I guess, and it wasn't working again the way he wanted it to, and it hasn't been working the way he wants it to, and we still are talking about, you know, what is it, traveling the zone is what John Schneider says. If he can't do that, he's not the same pitcher, and he grinded through it again. But if he's forced to grind, it's telling you something mm-hmm. about where Kevin Gosman is. Let's play Kevin Gosman's thoughts himself on dealing with a bit of a stressful workload this season. This was post-game comments to the media. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a grind this year for sure. Um, you know, we didn't have many off days early on, uh, you know, having a four-man rotation, those things, and they definitely add up. I mean, all of us starters, you know, we're we're getting to pretty high innings limit, and, um, you know, I think more than anything, stressful pitches. You know, a lot of stressful pitches, having to pitch out of jams, and, and we're doing it. You know, we, we have the best pitching staff in, in all of baseball, but... Uh, you know, it definitely takes a toll on you. And so, oh I mean, physically I feel good. You know, um, definitely delivery tonight didn't feel, you know, the way it did in Baltimore. I felt really good in Baltimore with my delivery. And um, tonight just felt like I was coming out of it for whatever reason. Why the old boy? I mean, it sounds like a guy who's given it his all and wonders if he has anything left. It sounds like a guy speaking for a staff that might be feeling the same way. Does it not? No way. That didn't sound like that? I didn't get that from him. He sounds like he's exhausted. Well, he but he lays out the reasons why. They had a four-man rotation. Okay, but like they didn't that, get any that, off But days. it's not like, you know, rest and recuperations around the corner for Kevin Gosman. The most important games of the mm-hmm. season are right here for Kevin Gosman. But then he gives some justification that he was, like, personally, it wasn't his best stuff either. Right? He no, didn't just say, it, has, ah, it hasn't been, though. I'm just tired. But, okay, there's things I need to improve on. You know, here's X, Y, Z. You're pointing to the excuses. It's a little sound, uh, sound the alarm. Okay, do you me. want to hear the manager's thoughts on Kevin Gossman's sure. outing? Maybe sure. that'll help you feel better. 
Well, he's about as valuable as we have for one, but I think they, they laid off some tough splits early. It wasn't quite carrying the zone, and they fouled off a ton of pitches. Uh, I thought it was awesome. He kind of emptied the tank there in the fifth and left it right there, 5-3. You know, I thought he had a good heater um, and, and used it well. And, you know, still, you know, 200 strikeouts before September is really damn impressive. So um, on a night when he probably wasn't his sharpest and, you know, we were hoping for him to go pretty deep into the game, um, I thought he was, um, he just made big pitches when he had to, really. And, you know, kind of understood when to throw the heater, when to throw the split. And, you know, you give them credit for laying off a bunch and, and fouling off a bunch. So Splitter wasn't carrying the zone. Sorry, mm-hmm. I said traveling the zone. I mean, that's a big problem. Uh, left it all out there in the fifth inning against a Washington Nationals mm-hmm. team with how many guys that you recognize? Them with a winnable game. Yes, but like, it, it, I understand they won the baseball game and he can still grind through. Mm-hmm. But not like all of those 200 strikeouts, they're not going to help you in September. And he's still going to strike out batters in September. But is that splitter going to carry the zone the way it needs to? If they can just give him a nice early lead in some of these games down the stretch. You can score 10 runs, run support. Wouldn't that be nice? Might help Kevin Gosman out. Anywho, Blue Jays back tonight, 7.07 first pitch. We will tee that up. We've got Show Ellie on at 7. Carlos Pena at 8 o'clock. we got to get some Vladdy thoughts from him. And Jose Barrios is on the mound tonight. All of that to come. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about a big day ahead and trickling from last night about the PWHL, which mm-hmm. is the Professional Women's Hockey League, which will be fully properly announced today. Uh, obviously, for those that have listened to this show, I've been strongly... Um, advocating for this league, and we're excited that it is around the corner. Um, more information will be presented today in a big press conference, but, you know, the insiders get out there and they get their little tidbits into the world. So we do know some stuff before today's press conference, um, and what we do know is at least the six cities, for sure, that the teams will have their original six franchises in, and... Toronto, we're one of them. Uh, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa will be the three Canadian teams, and New York, Minnesota, and Boston. New York and Minnesota, I understand, are not like cities, but they they will be somewhere in those markets. Not sure exactly where those are, uh, but Boston uh, certainly is a city that will have the hockey team. Uh, okay, okay, right. Yeah. Like New York doesn't mean New York City, is what I'm saying, and Minnesota is. So they may not be playing in Manhattan is what you're saying. Right. Like, I think we just, we need to figure out more information about those specific markets. But nonetheless, you got the six cities, the six teams, the six original franchises that will be part of this really groundbreaking, hopefully longstanding league that will be more information announced today. But PWHL will be the official league name. And those will be your six cities to start. Yeah, uh, definitely exciting news last night, seeing all the insiders get revved up. That was cool. Uh, I wonder, because um, you're more closely tied to this than I am, of course, what did you learn last night? Like, what did you, is there something that has piqued your mm-hmm. interest in, I guess, last night's news leaks or the last week or so uh, about and leading up to today's announcement? Is there something that's top of mind for you? Yeah, I think we're getting a lot more information. Like, the biggest point of intrigue for me is, you now have, let's say, 180 dynamite players that are looking for a place to play. And they're scattered all across North America and some in Europe. So how are you going to create a fair original six league that isn't stacked with 
all the players that happen to live in Montreal, all the players that happen to live in Boston, right? Like there's going to have to be a real draft. Mm -hmm. When I played in the CWHL, when I was drafted, you were able to put the teams that you would be willing to be drafted to. And so for me, I only wrote Toronto and uh, Markham at that point. Like I didn't, I wasn't able to be drafted to the Boston franchise. But Why? You didn't want to stick in the I was in university in still. I was still going to school. I know. That was the Northeast. I was in Boston, but... No, I was at Toronto. I was in, in Toronto at uh, okay, school. Okay, okay, okay. So I was a part-time... I was a full-time student. I had a job, and I was a full-time professional hockey player. So at that point, you couldn't really get a draft, like as a... Uh, an NHL-type draft. You would have been forced to make decisions that you're hoping these players do not have And to my make. salary was $2,000 a year. <laughs> so I yeah. clearly was not able to uproot my life. The idea with this new franchise is that they want to respect that some people have their absolute life and roots here because they're not making $500,000 yet. Mm-hmm. So what we learned last night is they'll be... Um, Each team will be able to sign three players before the draft. I would assume that someone like Marie-Philippe Poulin will be signed by the Montreal team before the draft. Like, you would think that that makes sense. Yeah, put a a C on it before... As somebody that lives and has her entire life and roots in Montreal, you would think that they would sign her. You would think someone like Natalie Spooner would maybe be signed to Toronto before the draft. She just had a child. She lives here. This is where her roots are. You would think someone like... Hillary Knight, who lives in the United States, maybe trains out of Minnesota or trains out of New York or Boston, would be signed to that team. Sure. So the idea that this draft will just be like, whoever gets first overall pick, if it's Minnesota, is going to draft Poulin, I think that that's, that's important not gonna happen. context. Uh, we do, do we know how many... Uh, des- three. Is it a designated player, a declared get, player? What each is it team will get three uh, decisions. Is, is that enough, is my question to you. It's like, is that going to cause problems? Yeah. Like Marie Pouli Poulin is engaged to your friend, Laura Stacey. Is she going to be able to play for Montreal or is she going to be in a draft pool? They have three choices. But there's only 18, right? There are 18 players who are in this status. Is Mm -hmm. that enough? It's not enough, but I think it's, it's fair because you also want the draft to be real. Like most of my friends that are Olympians either live in Toronto or Montreal. Or yeah, it's be hotly contested. So that's the thing is like if you pick three players, Spooner, Nurse, and <sighs> whatever. I don't want to name names. Okay. You, you pick three people. There's going to be people. Nurse, that, nurse playing for there's going to be three people that get their life the nice way that they want it. And that, but that's the point of this league is like they want to make it professional. You might have to get drafted to Boston. But they've tried to have these starting salaries enough and there's going to be allocations in their CBA of like moving costs and help offset. You know, you're not just going to be thrown into Boston with no money. But to make this league as realistic as possible, they want the draft to be pretty drafty, right? Yeah. So I think that that's really important and I really respect that. And there's going to be some people that's lives are uprooted, but this is what you've been fighting for. You want a professional league. You kind of have to take the punch as well. As well, There's been three or four years of having to build this and fight for this. They are understanding that there might be some hiccups in terms of, oh, my life isn't going to be perfect. I'm not going to live in my King Street condo. I have to move to Minnesota. But that's what you've been fighting for. So having three players sign before the draft is great. The draft will be September 18th in Toronto. We learned that as well. That's awesome. I can't wait. I hope we get to go. I hope we get to see this. Um, but that's going to be, I think, 15. How many people will get drafted? Uh, you said 15. It's 15 rounds. Is yeah. that enough? 
So what's going to happen after 15 rounds? Three designated players, 15 rounds. That's 18 players. That's pretty much so there's enough. Going to be there's going to have to be a little free agent. Yeah, there's a free agent period. There's an opportunity to do free agency signings because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be drafted in that. But there might be players that are on the cusp that want to come out and try to make this team. So they're going to make it as realistic as possible. Like you can, you know, in a draft, players don't get drafted. They can still have an opportunity to make an NHL team, right? So same kind of thing here. Um, Do you fear that uh, players that deserve to have a team will be left without a team? Yeah, but that's... No, I'm just uh, like... No, 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 I'm, no, yeah, not, no. I'm, I'm saying... Like but, there yeah, will be really good players not playing? There will be players that don't make this league. What happens to but them? But that's the... That's what... We've been, we, that's what... I know, but like, what, what happens to them? I know this is what you need to do. Okay. The answer is what happens to and them... you need to start somewhere to grow. The answer is what happens to them is that they could try to be like uh, practice squad players if they really want to commit to a team and train and practice. Like, there's going to be opportunities to get out there mm-hmm. and keep working hard. But if your dream ends at that point, mm. it's at it's at the expense of this league having the best players in the world in it. You know, like, if you don't make a team, it's kind of the harsh reality of this is going to be the best of the best. Like, I would not be making this team. It'd be really nice because I love hockey and I once was a really super great player. But the point is there are super great players. there are 18 better players than me at this point. There's kids coming out of university that are at the peak of their game. There's people in the Olympic program that are going to be the future and the current players on this national team. There isn't room for half half-ass efforts at this do you point think, do you think in 24 25 there'll be more than 16 yeah so this is the other thing that i'm I, I i really think we can feel confident about is that six teams is a great starting point but that's not going to be the forever league you definitely need to start at a tangible number that will have success these are great hockey markets perfect hockey markets for this and it's going to grow and you're going to be able to put the right amount of time, money, and marketing into these franchises before you decide, let's add two. Let's add another American market. Let's try to go west. As you've noticed, most of these teams are on the East Coast. That's easier for travel. It's easier for fans. You're not flying over to Vancouver, which would be a great market, but just think about the logistics of it. It's year one. If you're flying to Vancouver and you're using a lot of that time and effort and money, you should really be focusing on making this year as awesome as possible. And it's not going to start until the new year, we believe. Training camp's the week of November 17th, so there'll be some opportunities for those people to make teams, of course. But nonetheless, we're getting kind of a skeleton of information. We'll have way more today, and then hopefully we can, we'll can we kind of debrief it all tomorrow with more information. But this is like the trickle information. Any surprise to you with the six cities chosen or announced? Yeah, like I remember about a month ago, I, I, I talked about the fact that I kind of knew that... You know, they're some we of the need, teams. We need insider fours, by yeah, the way. And, Can we do some insider and fours? And I'm glad I didn't say anything because one of the franchise locations changed. It was going to be London, Ontario. And that changed, I believe, to Ottawa. So, I mean, I had a good authority. I have friends on this team. And for some reason, it was changed from London to Ottawa. The Ottawa is a great hockey city, too. London would have been good because, yeah, obviously, junior hockey is huge there. But Ottawa has... Good rank there. A, Ottawa has an NHL team. They might be able to help with some marketing. And also, it's nice to spread out a little bit. It's the nation's capital as well. So I don't think Ottawa is a downgrade whatsoever. It's probably just a different situation. I, I also thought that maybe Washington would be involved. We heard that as well. And then it's going to be New York, Minnesota, and Boston. So moving pieces, I don't know everything. I just listen to what people want to tell me. Um, but a little bit of surprise. But I'm also really happy for these markets. Minnesota is obviously the state of hockey. They've had mm-hmm. an NWHL team. 
Boston's had both a CWHL and NWHL team. New York has had uh, adjacent to, like, New York obviously is a state, so they had a team not right in the city, same kind of thing. And then Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa, Toronto and Montreal have had incredible women's hockey success, and Ottawa will be a bit of a new market. So six teams with NHL cities. Do we know what the support from NHL teams mm, I think will that look one's, like? That's interesting. I don't know the answer to that. I think it's hopeful, but also... I think Gary Bettman has been a, a major reason why there wasn't any support for a long time. And his outward statement was like, once there's one league, we'll be interested in supporting. So now there's one and league. there is. So we'll see what that means for him. Is but, it on Gary, though? Like an MLSC? No, it's not on Gary. And I think, as we saw previously in the CWHL and even the NWHL, there was times where the franchise locations had some support from the local NHL club. Even if it was just like, hey, come out and watch the girls, like retweet. Like that's not nearly enough, but you would think that maybe the Toronto franchise could share some of the facilities, could use MasterCard, could use some of the training facilities that the Leafs have. Like I'm thinking there should be a connection there. I don't know for sure, but you would hope. How would that? Do you know where the Toronto team's going to play? I don't, but previously the Furies played... They played some games at MasterCard, and I re- thought that was a great spot for them. It's a good size arena, and it's beautiful, like facility. You don't think Scotiabank Arena will have them? I don't even know when they're going to be playing games. So you got to think about the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Also, it's going to be interesting. Like if you somebody proposed this online, I thought it was really smart. Like, okay, the Marlies play four o'clock games. What if you did a women's header, a double header with the Marlies games? Like, you're not going to get do it with the Leaf game. Okay, yeah, but. I mean, I don't know if Scotiabank Arena is going to be opening their doors to women's hockey two hours before. Not two hours. If they play at seven, maybe they got to play at two. Yeah, but, you know, also start small. You're not going to sell out Scotiabank Arena. But you you can really pack like Coca-Cola Coliseum and make that your home rink. I think that would be a really nice starting point. Yeah, no shortage of places to play, I suppose. I mean, I think all, all six markets will have a completely different process, but all six markets have opportunity for good resources and good connections with an NHL team. So I really hope that's the case. We'll definitely hear more today. Um, a lot of, you know, real press conferences will happen, but that's what we know so far. Oh, that was um, good insider fours though. <laughs> okay. What? I will not be making my return. I am making my return to women's beer league. So at this point, you never know. I might just like absolutely kill it in game one and think it's time for my return free agency force. <gasps> <laughs> free agency okay. force that's better than insider force there we go free agent force um okay we got show ali at seven o'clock oliver platt seven thirty carlos pena at eight and then in studio sherman hamilton to tee up today's massive game canada and latvia it's at 9 30 a.m eastern on sportsnet sportsnet now fifa world cup big seating implications ahead uh but on the other side of the break we got the a-list that's next on the fan morning show sportsnet 590 the fan now it's time for hey, yo. the A list. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. What's up, baby? All right, um, football season right around the corner. We all cannot wait. Sometimes your viewing experiences. Did your chair just slide down? You just lost two I, feet uh, of height. I tried to raise it a little bit. <laughs> you now went I'm, now to I'm the on ground. the floor. Yeah, I have so. to look down at you to speak. Um, okay, so. I, people all have different viewing experiences. Sometimes you're a bar person. Sometimes you're on your couch person. But this specific bar in Wisconsin is offering the deal of a lifetime. Basically, without getting into the fine print, which I will get into it, they will be paying your bar tab every time Aaron Rodgers loses while playing for the New York Jets. 
Okay. I mean, that's a brilliant promo. So far, so good. A little bit of stipulations and rules. Um, okay. uh, it's called Jack's American Pub in Milwaukee. Jack's American Pub. Every time that Aaron Rodgers starts a game and loses the game, they'll pay your tab. Okay. The fine print. The covered tabs must be opened at least 15 minutes before kickoff and don't include food. This is just drinks, which is okay. At least 15 minutes before kickoff? Yeah, like you can't start it midway through and be like, oh, he's going to lose. I'm going to start pounding okay, okay, shots yeah, yeah, of Jaeger. I was thinking like they don't want you to sit there and post up all day. And Well, I mean, that's... Maybe they do. Then I guess they'd probably make some money on food. But yeah. nonetheless, so your bar tab has to be open before kickoff, doesn't include food, and the offer only applies if Rodgers is starting and the Jets showdown doesn't coincide with a Packers game. So that's only going to happen four times this season. And you have to be present the entire game to cash in the ticket. But there's still four opportunities. The Jets game coinciding. So that can't happen simultaneously? Because they're going to have this Packers on? That's probably it. Okay. Anyway. So they're telling you to four come. Four games. They want you to come hate watch with Aaron Rodgers. And, if and he, everyone cheers and yeah. has free drinks if Aaron Rodgers loses. If he starts on the game four and loses on four occasions. I think that's pretty brilliant it's because awesome. it's days where, and that's important, I guess, they're trying to pack the bar mm-hmm. when the Packers are not playing at least four times. Yep. And they're going to sell a lot of food. And people will probably go early, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. to try to rack up a tab. That's awesome. I think it's probably, amazing. He'll probably drop at least. Let's see, he loses two probably, and four. It'll probably be two and four. Eh, maybe they won three or four. Even if they lose one. And you were at that game, and, you, yeah. and they come around, and they say, beer's on us, buddy, and you're like, screw Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> and you're wasted, and you got yeah. free beers all day. No, that'll be good. I think they made a real the smart idea. The vibes in that bar will be Jack's American really good. Pub. So if you're in Milwaukee, or you want to go down to Milwaukee and hate watch Aaron Rodgers with a bunch of bros, go do it. That'll be a time. I think it's a blast. Um, okay, let's take a break. Show Ali on the other side. Blue Jays won a game. They needed to win. We'll start there.